Fussy are your dad more like? Fussy your dad. Scutchio. It won't be Scutchio though, will it? On bonfire night. Unless you get caught in one of the bonfires. It'll be Coldio. I bet they don't have bonfire night in Spain, probably, do they? No, no. given that it was a plot to blow up uh, the English Houses of Parliament. I think there might be some fireworks in that game. What do you think? Oh, no, you did not just do that. I did. I've got more where that came from. It's a bottomless, bottomless well of that. Gold. What you're saying is David Moyes is going to use a Catherine wheel to pick his team. Well, it's better than a Tom Bowler. Yeah, it's more on fire. Stoke. Oh, God. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Look, there's some positives here because United have now gone six games unbeaten since West Brom, three wins on the spin. That all sounds really good. I've seen a lot of positive commentary after the performance against Norwich. And, uh, you know, David Moyes is doing a great job again, isn't he? How fickle we are. Except there are definitely some issues which uh, might be masked by that little run. And they manifested themselves uh, in the game against Stoke, didn't they? Where United were 12 minutes away from a pretty ignominious defeat. Absolutely. You're right to say loads of positives. In truth, two wins since we last spoke, and that has not been something we've been able to take for granted anymore. And I think there are some positives to be drawn from the manner of the victory, but more by luck than judgment in that actually that was very Manchester United, right? We came back and won with a very late goal. But Blimey, we were atrocious for the first 70 minutes of that game until we were once again saved by an 18-year-old football genius. Mm, It's becoming a pattern, isn't it? It's hard to express just how bad United were for 75 minutes or so. And that first half, legitimately, Stoke should have been 4-0 up. I don't think that would have been hard on them, would it? They created a lot of chances. United were absolutely terrible defensively, all of them. I mean, I know you're a big fan of Johnny Evans, but my, did he have a bad game. You know, my frustration with him is that he's got all the talent. Got all the talent in the world. And uh, Salil on the blog this week uh, read a very nice piece praising Johnny Evans, saying he's now United's best defender and the main man. My problem is he's got this one fundamental problem uh, and he gets out of position and he does it a lot. Problem with that is if you're a striker, you don't score enough goals. Uh, If you're a defender, you start conceding a lot. And I know which is the worst flaw to have. And and Johnny Evans has that. And I kind of hope at 25 he would have eradicated that by now. But he hasn't quite anyway. And it it contributed to United's performance defensively. I can't leave the criticism there because uh, Phil Jones, uh, who has a different problem, he makes individual mistakes. And uh, they manifested themselves in some goals as well. It's a funny one because I feel like the centre-backs in that game were kind of under the spotlight because they made individual errors. But the truth, no doubt, lies somewhere between our two positions on Johnny Evans, where I think he's basically Barese. And, you know, you're not nearly as convinced by that position. The fact that Manchester United's midfield is so insanely porous at the moment, and the fact that the, the fullbacks are bombing on the whole time, although we'll come to fullbacks in terms of the right-hand side, it must mean that there is an unrealistic level of expectation when the centre-backs are being offered almost no protection by the people in front of them. Credit to Moyes, I suppose, in that he went for brains over brawn in picking cleverly ahead of Fellaini for a game against Stoke. Common logic might have said, pick the big guys, given Stoke's history. And, and you know, they still play a pretty direct brand of football under Mark Hughes. You know, they're pretty robust. And of course, Hughes has that reputation anyway as a manager. So some credit goes to Moyes there, but Cleverly was clearly very, very rusty. He hasn't played for a little while. And he's just very lightweight. 
The major problem I have with Cleverly, I think he's technically very good. He loves possession of the football. And that's a thing to cherish in English football, isn't he? But he's so safe with it. And then when he's so safe with his passing and he doesn't contribute much defensively, he becomes a little bit of a liability. He feels a bit lightweight, frankly. Uh, and that's a problem. And, you know, he's not a youngster anymore, right? So you, you kind of hope he would have developed a bit more than that. You know, it's a, it's a big thing for Cleverly here because I don't think he's going to turn himself into sort of all-action, all-round midfielder. I mean, you've seen a few midfielders do that in the past where they've not quite cut it technically. So Darren Fletcher and Jordan Henderson, I'm thinking of, you know, they've tried, and Scott Parker. All three of them have basically turned themselves into kind of all-round, all-action midfielders. I don't think Cleverly can do that. So in order to really make it a United, he's got to add to the creative side of his game. And uh, he didn't do that either. And that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And Michael Carrick definitely has not woken up yet this season properly. He's had some okay games, but he's not playing at the top of his game by any means. But he wasn't by this time last year either. And then he kind of really came back to life. And and the same the season before that, actually. And this is a point that Ferguson made that uh, Carrick starts the season slowly and then apparently Carrick rejects this. But, you know, the evidence is there, right? He's not he's not having a great season. Didn't think he was that bad at the start of last season. He was he was out of the team at the start of the season prior to that until the Swansea game when United went on a, a mega run and uh, and of course he was superb that season you know he does need to pull his finger out because uh, he's the main man he's the experienced player there he's he's supposed to be holding the midfield together uh, well yeah and if it's not him who is it you know we're really in trouble but really interesting that we've got a 30 million pound midfielder and starting ahead of him are a 40 year old winger and a, then a player who hasn't played any games I was really expecting to see Fellaini in the Capital One Cup until I realised after I'd submitted my uh, predicted 11 that of course he's cup tied you know you say it's hard to put into words how bad United were in that game by half time I'd shrugged my shoulders and thought oh well this is this is our lives now this is what we get. I, I was watching it on telly and I just thought it was staggeringly awful. I, I got a message from a friend of mine that was at the game and had come home and watched it on Sky. And he said, you know, the match replay thing, he said, you cannot overstate how much worse we were in real life than we even looked on TV. And we looked so bad on TV and we were way worse in real life. And what he'd said was that you also couldn't tell quite from TV just how dramatic an impact Adnan Yanazai had, that it wasn't just about what he contributed, but also the space he made for other players. And I have to say, I really enjoyed the last 20 minutes of that game. We had on the pitch at the same time, Wayne Rooney playing in central midfield, Robin Van Persie, Chicharito, Kagawa, Yanazai, all in the same team. And that was that was really, really fun to watch. Valencia was playing, was he as well at right back at one point? Yeah, it was incredibly gung-ho at the end. I, I mean, the thing that shocked me most of all is that Wayne Rooney didn't put in a transfer request after that. I don't get it. No. It's you know? f- He's not happy playing there. Oh, unless he was happy playing there. Which is it, Wayne? Are you happy playing there or are you not happy playing there? Because I'm a little bit confused about this one because it kind of depends on, you know, whether his contract's up for renewal or not. I mean, I mean, which week he's saying this. No, I mean, uh, whether he's happy or not or not. It was more than 10 or 15 minutes as well. And he was really good there. We looked really functional at that point. Really interesting, I suppose a very key talking point from that game was the booing of Nani uh, when he came off. Uh, and I have to say, I had a little Twitter dispute with someone who, who said that Kagel was as ineffective as Nani. 
statistics don't prove anything but with my eyes I that sounded not correct to me and then looking at the statistics it's kind of wildly wrong I mean Nani made United's goal in the first half but everything else he did was disastrous Kagawa wasn't like pulling up any trees by any stretch of the imagination but Nani was truly awful but really seriously mm. the old Trafford crowd I don't know how we can boo our own players given what the last 25 years have been like so three points I want to make. One is uh, on Genazai. Absolutely right. His use of space is fantastic. And uh, off the ball, he is he's way more mature than 18 years old. I mean, we all know how good he is on the ball. As Daniel Harris said, he's like a player made of velvet. It's absolutely lovely to watch. But off the ball, he's brilliant because he drifts into spaces where, you know, and he's very good at anticipating where the ball will go next. You know, we'll come to Norwich, but he was even better then. That's one point. Uh, Kagawa, he finds it really hard to play off the left and influence the game in the same way. And it pulls United out of shape. So uh, he ends up not protecting his fullback because he comes inside looking for space to find the ball to play the right balls. You know, eventually he played the last 12 minutes at number 10. So he was very good in those 10 minutes. He got the ball. He was able to dictate tempo a little bit easier. I mean, you know, in 10 minutes, it's, it's hard to draw all those conclusions, of course. Um, and then the third point I wanted to make on Nani, it's a total disgrace. I don't care how bad he is. You don't boo him because, you know, that's going to ruin his confidence anyway. So it's counterproductive. And we're Manchester United fans, not Manchester City fans. We don't do that kind of thing. I don't think I've ever heard it before. I know there was that a lot of nonsense talked about Ryan Giggs being booed years and years and years ago. I was at that game. Uh, I uh, didn't see it that way myself. But, you know, I think we've probably talked about that one on the pod before. So I don't think uh, that's that's what... United fans should do. Definitely shouldn't be doing it at home. Uh, that's a real shame. He's just signed a five-year contract. What are we trying to achieve by doing that? It's crazy times, right? His confidence is already clearly very vulnerable. It's really interesting because if Rooney had a bad game, he wouldn't be getting the booze. He'd be getting the Rooney, Rooney, Rooney. I mean, Nanny doesn't do himself many favours with his general demeanour. And I completely can understand why large sections of the crowd are very frustrated with Nani. It seems to me that giving him a five-year contract was a pretty high-risk manoeuvre, right? It's not a guaranteed win to do that, presumably on pretty big wages. Well, it's on big wages, though, though I, I believe not the uh, the size of wage packet he was after um, a year or so ago. So he's on big wages, but it protects United's investment and he can still be sold. Uh, so it doesn't mean he's going to see out his five-year contract by any means. And uh, his his wages are such that uh, there is a bigger pool of available destinations than there would be for Wayne Rooney, for example. And, and he would still be attractive, you know, because he does come up with the numbers, generally speaking. And you can see why Moyes likes him, because he can have a real impact. But his decision-making lets him down. It always has done. It's never got any better. And uh, now at 26, uh, I don't believe it will get any better. This is the nanny will be stuck with for life. He'll blow hot and cold. And he blew very, 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 very cold. Uh, It was really abysmal as a performance. And, uh, you know, I can totally understand why everyone is frustrated and angry with him. You just keep it to the pub, not the pitch. This is the thing, because I'm kind of guilty of this, really, because we talk about this on the podcast. You you write articles about stuff. I talk about stuff on Twitter too much. And some of it's pretty negative about the players because they went, you know, when they do bad things, you just say, this is what I thought happened. But I do think that culture, of course, then transfers into the ground to a certain extent and that is slightly problematic because in the ground you can actually have a bearing on how players feel about themselves and all that kind of stuff. There's a degree where 
by your actions have a bit more consequence in that setting and if you're going to boo Nanny he's going to not feel good and then he's not going to play well yeah I do think it's different so I mean I frequently get told uh, in various social media forums or on the website in comments or in a forum on the the rent website that uh, i should be supporting the players and uh, i think people get mixed up here because honestly i don't think nanny is trawling through my twitter feed to check what i'm saying about him nanny had a poor game today says at united rant oh no woe is me you know and uh, if i praise him he'll be uh, he'll be high on confidence yeah you know if only you know Do- dr ed a sports psychologist yeah that would be great if you had that much bearing because you just go oh now he's brilliant and then he, he would play brilliantly all the time Anyway, that was Stoke and, uh, you know, the highlight being uh, Adnan's impact late in the game. Uh, On to Norwich, the highlight being Adnan's impact for the whole game. (laughs) The maturity of performance uh, Janazai put in against Norwich from the number 10 position floating behind Hernandez uh, was incredible. He just, he controlled the entire game. Everything went through him. He dictated how United played, the pace at which United played, dictated the movement of other players. He always looked for the ball. Incredibly mature you know inc- incredible how he's translated his form for the reserves into into that kind of stage got to say i didn't think it would happen this quickly but absolutely brilliant player he looks every bit a real star in the making doesn't he and and yes norwich at home yes there wasn't much of a defense put up but all credit possible i think fine performance uh, fine performance from him fine performance from chicharito fine performance from united all round really Henry 4 nil slightly flattering and very much about the last sort of 20 minutes of that game where norwich really had given up uh, interesting to see Wilf Zaha finally play a role and sort of a bit confusing really because it wasn't like he was amazing but he was definitely really good work rate one really brilliant cross a lot of promise and invention and excitement it just doesn't he's not like he looked off the pace right I guess the frustrating thing is you know what his problem is right he's he's very very direct and he doesn't know the time at which you pass and the time in which you go to play I mean he beat Garrido all ends up after about five minutes you know and it's quite clear he had the beating of this guy but there's situations where he needs to not stand on the ball and he needs to play it and move the ball quickly and that's a bit of frustration and you just you just want him to learn I spoke to a Crystal Palace fan this week who said uh, he hadn't passed the ball for about three years what do you expect fair enough when you're at Palace and you're, you're the best player uh, not at United so I think he'll learn but the frustration here is that he hasn't really been given the opportunity to learn in a game environment and uh, he probably should have been I think it's a bit odd that we've got till the end of October and this is the time he's made his first team debut yeah absolutely and I think if if he'd looked kind of really really raw or slightly off unfit or whatever it would have made more sense of the complete absence of him from the side and you do just wonder what's been going on behind the scenes I'm not talking about the kind of slightly comedy rumours but you know in real life something must have been happening well he hasn't been putting the performances in in the training pitch i'm I'm assuming for for all moise's stubbornness about players he doesn't know uh, i'm sure someone told him that wilf zahar was quite good (laughs) yes in fairness to moise we should offer a minor correction from last week saying that that moise had said that once again someone told him how good kagawa was because he then went on to say this is the first time i've really seen it myself so actually then it's set in some context it's not just him saying it again for no reason yes but it has become a major moisism hasn't it someone told me 
pointed out by, uh, again, uh, Daniel Harris from The Guardian, Moyes said that someone had told him that it took Alex Ferguson seven years to win the first Premier League. Well, let me tell you, as someone, you will not be getting seven years to win your first Premier League title at Old Trafford, Mr Moyes. And nor should you, because the roof was leaking when Alex Ferguson took over. We hadn't won the league for 20 years, and you have taken over the team with the best facilities in the country by some considerable distance, who have just won the league by 11 points, despite playing the last of their fixtures drunk. Mind you, it's not the roof that's leaking, it's the bank account. (laughs) Yes, quite. And the midfield as well, which Fergie hasn't said anything in his book about, as far as I've got to yet, about why he's never bought any midfielders for the last five years. No leaking against Norwich. Clean sheet. Uh, so alongside the Adnan Yanazai performance, uh, we had goals. Two from Hernandez. A bit of a soft penalty, I thought. Oh, I don't know. If you look at that, he definitely pushed his leg out of the way. Yeah. Found the leg. You know, I could understand the frustration with that one. And then uh, a fine header from Chicharito. And then Phil Jones... Jonesinho, you know, L. Jones. This is Negrete in the 1986 World Cup. What well, this was, wasn't it? Uh, not quite not the same quite. level of grace, but fantastic finish and, and an absolutely delightful moment that was. He played all right in midfield, actually. Uh, he did. He gave a bit of solidity in there. I mean, I think, I think. It's obvious that Moyes is looking for an answer there, isn't he? You know, he needs something a bit more robust alongside Carrick, uh, or he needs to play three in midfield, or he needs to find a totally different solution. But I don't think Phil Jones will be it against the very highest level, but he did okay against Norwich, I thought. Yeah, really useful against not the very highest level, presumably. And then really useful against the very highest level to do that crazy central defender in central midfield role that we talked about last season. All in all, it was a a good performance and fantastic to get a clean sheet, of course. That must be a joy for all the team and staff and defenders and stuff. But only Norwich in the League Cup, they clearly weren't particularly bothered, uh, especially once they got a couple of pretty nasty injuries. That injury to Snodgrass looked really scary for a minute, didn't it? It was a, a nasty, a nasty moment when Indergaard put him straight in the recovery position, and you think, my goodness, that's that's not a good sign, is it? No, apparently out of hospital, uh, yeah, concussion. Yeah, really, really unpleasant when that happens. But uh, you know, I think I think uh, the medical facilities are now pretty good. I mean, remember when Pedacek got that really nasty injury a few years ago, and Jose Mourinho had a big rant about it, and I think there was a pretty significant review after that so you know medically people are well cared for uh, players are well cared for these days and uh, you know so was he but it delayed the game a fair bit didn't it and um yeah well 10 minutes or something it was 11 uh, 11 was it yeah it's it quite a significant amount and you know but you he's okay so it's okay so haven't really sort of been in a position where Moyes had had a very rough week uh, last time we spoke, hadn't they? I mean, we had the Sociedad game to take the edge off it, but things were not going well. It looked very much during that Stoke game like that was going to continue. And that really, really would have been a very, very serious game not to win Stoke at home. But in the end, he turned that round and then got the nice, comfortable win in the League Cup. Once again, it's looking a bit rosier as well. He's also exhibited some much more pleasing tendencies. You know, we talked about Gary Neville saying the club would change David Moyes. It's interesting because he's seen what happens now when you put all the attacking players on the pitch all at the same time. We end up keeping on going until we win the game. And you wonder if little things like that will make a difference. We didn't talk about it in the Stoke section, but I think the selection over Chris Smalling over over Raphael was a really serious selection error. Obviously, he's in there for height, right? This is what you will always hear. It's for height. But what about being good at being a fullback? It's not the first time that error has been made. I mean, look, I like Smalling. I think he's got you know huge potential. His 
problem uh, if there is one is his passing right that's his weakness I think his defending is excellent and he does get in the right position physically he's a fine specimen he's got loads of pace Uh, right back you know what is he he's like 60% of the player if that uh, he's you know he doesn't really have a good uh, cross on him he he doesn't get in the right positions and I, yeah it just doesn't make any sense to me got to say uh, I think it's really unfair to keep swapping players all around all the time he's a centre back uh, if you don't think he's one of the two best centre backs at the club well you know he's a reserve centre back fair enough it made no sense to me to move him to right back if you want to rest Raphael. Uh, we've got Fabio in the club two years ago he was starter in the Champions League final uh, apparently he's uh, not good enough to get a new contract anymore and seemingly on the way out uh, you know took a very late substitution didn't it in the uh, in the Capital One Cup to get him into the game and score a goal but you know we've barely seen him he hardly ever makes a bench I think uh, Moyes is you know a little mixed up over the right back spot just play Raphael right he's a fine 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 right back if he's not the best right back in the Premier League he's damn close to it there shouldn't be any reason to not play him and if you're not going to play him play a right back and we have one in Fabio uh, yeah, for a little bit, but Fabio scored, bowed to the Stretford end, put on Instagram, this club has changed my life and my family's life. Pretty clear that, that there's a kind of, uh, there was a definite, there's a definite sad goodbye in the air, isn't there? Because it's a shame, but it doesn't look like he's part of uh, Moyes' plans. And he hasn't had the development that Raphael's had from, I mean, last season was Raphael's breakout season, really, wasn't it? I mean, not that he hadn't had loads of football before he had. Last season was the season where he became the player that we all kind of rely on. And Fabio's just not had that, has he? No, he hasn't. And uh, it's been unfortunate for him. Unfortunate that he has got a lot of injuries. The season after he started in the Champions League final should have been a major season for him. And instead, he spent a lot of the time in the treatment room. And then last year on the loan at QPR, again, should have been a good season for him. But he spent a lot of the time on the bench or injured at a relegated club. Not good for him either. I don't think we always get these loans quite right. Sometimes it turns out very well, doesn't it? But uh, a fair few of them haven't turned out very well. And for Fabio, uh, not at all. And I think it's a shame. I think he's got bags of talent, you know. And we're short on fullbacks uh, because you can't call... Alex Butner, a fullback. He's a bad winger uh, and he sometimes plays at left back. I mean, he put in an absolutely brilliant cross, didn't he, for a goal the other night. But defensively, he's just horrible. He's got some talent for sure and he's fun to have around. But my goodness, we, we, uh, we've had a quick... Let's, let's move on to some quitter questions, shall we? We had a question about left backs in the January window from at Sir Chris Zamora. Is left back a necessity this January or a luxury? You would think it's going to be right 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 up there on Moise's priorities this January so the priority is still to get a left back because uh, no one has any faith in Bootner and uh, Moise clearly doesn't have any faith in Fabio uh, in that position I'm not sure it would be the top of my priority list I think a central midfielder is the definite priority Ever is having a decent season but of course he's 32 and you know out of contract next summer Moyes is fixated on Baines, it seems, so it looks like they'll try and make another bid for Baines. I mean, we'll see. He hasn't signed a new contract at Everton, so maybe that opens the door. It's not as if Everton were welcoming of a bid previously, though. Yeah, absolutely. So, on the subject of Twitter questions, last week we were asked what Manchester United players would dress up as on Halloween parties, and I said that Robin Van Persie had a Dracula-like quality, and lo and behold, he went the full count. Oh, terrible. Bad. 
bad. That was not meant as a terrible pun. I've just worked out what you mean. No, I, I, I'm not mean like he went the whole way. As it's it all right, just, you don't need to explain. I mean, just digging, just <laughs> digging away, Paul. Just digging away. Uh, so yeah, proof again that uh, United players listen to Rankast. Fact. We know that Fergie did, uh, you know, because clearly, yeah, he uh, he uh, instigated many of the changes we demanded <laughs> um fergie of course uh, spoke at the lowry this week uh, done a couple of uh, speaking engagements lots of people tweeting and writing reports of that and it did look like a really fun night but no q a of course because he doesn't want to answer the questions that we want to ask him right lots of kind of questions asked of us but like if we could get him as a guest if we ever did a live rank cast what would we ask him and it's like we can't he would never answer the questions we want to ask him the the, the questions we want to ask him are ones he's been asked and chosen not to answer right yeah quite yeah if if uh i mean minding you if we offered to pay him <laughs> no i mean his book's become the fastest selling non-fiction book ever so i don't think he's got any problem uh on that score if he wasn't already bajillionly wealthy enough paul hayward has probably got a really nice payday out of this right assuming he's got a piece of the action he might just be up for a fixed fee who knows you know if he was sensible he'd have asked for a percentage given the way his kind of post-release press stuff's gone i think he's on a percentage for sure all right, so, okay, this is my, my question to you, Ed. If you had to ask Fergie a non-hostile question, what would you ask him that was kind of like a nice question that you might ask Fergie? How much did you enjoy your massive pay rise since 2005? What lovely things did you buy your wife with that £50,000 that found its way accidentally into your locker after the Andre Konchelskis deal? Can't do it, can you? Can't just take the cynical hat off for two seconds. No, I can't. And ask him a sincere question about all the great footballing joy he's brought you. Yeah, well, he's answered all those before, hasn't he? Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I think I would just ask him to just talk about Eric for a bit. That's what I'd, I'd like. I'd like to see that in real life, you know, uh, Sir Alex talking about Eric. All right, at MUFC Jeff says, from one of his daughters, the question is, which Mario character is Robin Van Persie most like? Pretty sure it's just Mario. He's the main one. He's not. He's certainly not Luigi. If he was Luigi and Wayne Rooney was Mario, that would be very sad times. I was always quite partial to Toad in Mario Kart, so maybe, maybe he's a bit Toad. You could do a whole thing of United people. Who's Yoshi? Danny Welbeck, because he's lovable. Jeff's other daughter says, which player would you rechristen on the back of their shirt and to what? I think a lot of journalists would probably like Yanazai to just have Adnan written on the back of his shirt, but uh, that's not good. We don't approve of that sort of thing. Yes, I can think of a few short names I might give Wen Rooney. Yes, absolutely. Oh yeah, of course, the most obvious one in the world on the back of the shirt, which has the number 19 on it. Instead of a name, it would just say that guy to answer a question asked by um at that no dave no party welbs is that guy ah see yeah it's a reference that went well beyond me for a second there at lucas underscore mutd this is a question you're going to enjoy ed right this one's for you i'm, I'm opting out of this who's united's worst player is it young or anderson or or is there another contender ed well yeah there are worse players Clearly, because uh, both Young and Anderson are internationals, well, sort of. Not current internationals. Is Anderson out of the Brazilian setup for long enough that we can call him a former international? He's not. Who's gonna, they're not going to pick him, are they? <laughs> no, uh, they're certainly not, unless it's for water-carrying duty. Uh, literally, water-carrying duty. So, um, uh, I mean, I guess Young has his qualities, right? So, you know, he can put in a decent cross sometimes. He actually had a decent game against Norwich. We've been talking post-Norwich uh, about this might be a platform for him to build on. God, 
help us all. So uh, I guess Anderson's the worst player because he is almost never put in an effective performance and, and almost contribute, almost never contributes anything. I mean, when people tell me, remember those games against Steven Gerrard five years ago. It's, it's Anderson's birthday, is it not, coming up soon? And uh, he'll be in his mid-20s. And that's about how many games he's finished for United. And I can count on my one hand how many good games he's had. So th- there you go. I just had a rant about Anderson for no particular reason, because he never plays. I know you enjoyed doing that. Didn't even get in the Carling Cup side. That's, that's not a good sign for Anderson. Unfortunately, the jokes were going around this week at the UFC. Uh, Adnan and Patrice Evra, and they were photographed with some really massively fat guy in the middle, which turned out to be one of Patrice Evra's 57 brothers, or however many he's got. It's pretty much that many. It's a lot. Uh, and, uh, and poor old David, you know, Ando was uh, the, the butt of many jokes. At Paul underscore Haves says, if I'm not too late, does Adnan's performance the other night put Kagawa as third choice for number 10? I don't think it does purely because if you've got to have one of them on the wing and one of them at number 10, then I would have Adnan on the wing and Kago at number 10 because Adnan doesn't seem to lose much effectiveness when you play him on the wing. Yeah, and, and I'd like to see him and Kagawa on the same side with Rooney and Van Persie. I think you can do it. It did happen. You know, funny enough, actually, the Stoke game, you said that you thought it was very unlikely Shinji would get picked for that, and he did. And then Adnan came on, and they, they did look like a good unit altogether. But it relies on Rooney being happy not to play at his precious number 10 position. Poor Wayne Rooney, not playing at number 10. <laughs> so, shall we uh, talk about the football coming up? Because there are some good games coming up, I think. Uh, United have a tricky-looking tie. Is, is this the word that we always use for Fulham? I mean, Fulham have actually been pretty terrible this season until quite recently, and, and Yol was on the verge of the sack, it seemed. But a tricky-looking tie in West London against Timotar Berbatov's Fulham. What do you make of this one? Fulham have not been bad until quite recently. Fulham have been bad except for that Palace game. And they've gone on to be bad again since then. Martin Yol's attempt at counterbalancing Adel Tarapt and Dimitar Berbatov with Scott Parker and Stephen Sidwell has not quite worked. I see the logic. It's like a mean average of work rate and a mean average of flair that he's trying to kind of get into the side. But but it's not all gelling. And things have to go really right for Fulham for them to go right. I don't know how we could describe this as a tricky looking tie. I can't really think of many easier ties at the moment I'm not saying we're going to win because we have every capacity to muck it up ourselves but if you're looking for one of the easier games in the league this season surely it's got to be playing against Fulham bags of talent but just not anywhere looking like nearly coming together yeah but they might put it uh, together against United I mean there's all the motivation to do it isn't it and they've actually got a decent record against United at Craven College haven't they Craven Cottage I like uh, the, I like to think of it as Craven College you know he's a Dutch man he likes to teach the people the football. Timothy Berbatov is a professor of uh, goals, you know. Yeah, for sure. That's the uh, the most I'll ever do in a dodgy Dutch accent. <laughs> I think it might have been better than mine. I'm not sure. So anyway, at Craven Cottage, United have had a few poor results over the years. You cannot forget that 3-0. Uh, not too many. That was abysmal. And then and 3-all a couple of seasons ago, right? The 3-0 was Michael Carrick at centre-back, right? That was, uh, that was really brutal. That was in the midst of our uh, defensive crisis where we were punished for that game where we played seven defenders against Arsenal by the gods of football. We smote us down with a series of central defensive crises and that was the absolute nadir of that season wasn't it that game my goodness mm, it was they'd beaten us 2-0 the season before as well and uh, and then the two all 
came and, and uh, then we were on 5 0. But we'll just forget that in my analysis of how difficult Craven Cottage is, shall we? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, we've had a couple of bad games there when they were better than they are now and we were really struggling. If we don't win this game relatively comfortably, it's perfectly reasonable to say that that's because we've not done our job properly. They are. They're so bad. They are so bad. Even that game uh, where they beat Crystal Palace, who are even worse, 4-1, the game that got Ian Holloway the sack slash resignation, they weren't even that great. They scored some wonderful goals, but they didn't put that many moves together. They looked vulnerable at the back against Crystal Palace. Any kind of serious concerted pressure and any kind of playing to anywhere near our abilities, we should win this one. Yeah, it should do. Interesting to see what United side comes out because uh, Moise has gone a bit negative in some of the away games. Will he do that at Craven Cottage or uh, will this newfangled attacking Manchester United that we just found in the last game come out or not? A last game in 20 minutes. Who knows? I, I couldn't tell you, although if Genesai isn't playing, it'll be a crime against humanity. <laughs> it will. Let alone football. A little chat about uh, are we getting carried away about Adnan? Because I'm very firmly in the no, we are really definitely not. This is something absolutely amazing we're witnessing. I mean, I was thinking about it and I said that the only two players I can remember making this much impact at that age are Giggs and Ronaldo. And then my timeline was absolutely filled with people reminding me of the existence of a slightly nicer 18-year-old version of Wayne Rooney. This, I mean, it's so early. Yeah, and, and Norma Whiteside before him. Yeah. So there have been a few presses. Absolutely. And... But not many, right? It's rare Of course. I mean, that's the point. It's rare. And and, uh, I think we have something rare here. Who knows exactly how far his form will go? That is a question. There's a nice interview with Ryan Giggs this week. He said, right now, I don't have to tell him much because uh, when a young player is playing so well, you just want to let them get on with it. And uh, he's, he's got all the great qualities. It's when it's not going well and he has a dip in form, which is inevitable that I'll talk to him. And uh, of course, you know, there's no one better than Ryan Giggs to understand this. In the United first team at 17 and absolutely brilliant with it, but suffered with dips in form his whole career, didn't he? So he understands this and, and he'll help Genesis through it. Another nice interview with Robin Van Persie this week. He said he absolutely loves him and he has all the qualities to be a top player and uh, he loves playing with him. So the players have faith in him because they can see what's on the pitch. This guy delivers and might as well use it while he's playing well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's fine to get overexcited about it. I mean, as you say, so much can happen from here on out. I mean, heaven forfend one serious injury and, and the whole picture looks really different. And we just really hope that doesn't happen. And this is a bit of a cliche, but I really do think it's true. Even with Fergie gone, he couldn't be at a better club for this kind of thing. As you say, because Ryan Giggs is there, who better to be on the coaching staff for a player like that than Giggs? Well, yes. He's, he's not going to coach the brilliance out of him, you know? He's not going to stifle that sort of thing, but he will be there when he's needed. Yeah, although there is Moyes, Steve Round, Chris Woods and Jimmy Lumsden who uh, you know, a bunch of long ball merchants that might coach the bejesus out of him. Let, let's hope not, you know. But it's not happening. That is clearly not happening. He's not being asked by those people that you've just mentioned to do anything other than play his game at the moment. Uh, yeah, we're only a few games into the season, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Wow, I can we'll see his spectacular ability to find cynicism where only beauty and joy exists, you know. Uh, no, so, look. Uh, you know, over the years, Wayne Rooney has changed his game and a lot of that is coaching. So Rooney doesn't attempt to beat a player now and he did at 18. And the exciting thing about Genesai is he's a free-flowing player who can beat a player and find space and, uh, you know, he's a creative type. And that could easily be coached out. He could be turned into a pretty standard 
uh, wide player or midfielder and uh, you know that would be a shame wouldn't it so now I'm not being cynical about it this is this has happened with many many players creative players over the years so let's hope that Moyes is not old school about it the other thing is of course you know he's got to fit into a team system and uh, we haven't quite worked out what Moyes' team system is yet. Uh, and there's two players there in Kagawa and Yanazai who might not naturally fit into a Moyes-type system. Uh, and he's got to try and work out what they offer and, and how to do it in the best format to get the, the best qualities out of those two players and the team uh, you know, as a collective. And, and again, they might not fit into the system that he wants to play or he might want to play a system that doesn't suit them. But, you know, Moyes is the manager that started him. Moyes is the one that's kind of praising him and put him in the first team squad and all, all those yeah. kinds of things. So clearly he thinks that it's worth it for the talents that he's offered to, to make the changes that are necessary to his system, whatever that might be. And I think he doesn't know himself what his system is. And also, I think he's got lots of different systems. I think he does approach the games against the smaller teams with a different approach than he does the the big teams. And I think a lot of certainly what I think of of Moyes' kind of inherent negativity is, a, is about the games against the big sides. And against the smaller sides, he doesn't necessarily have that mindset. Although, of course, the Southampton substitutions were a bit worrying on that regard. Anyway. Well, well ground... um, pretty weird contrasting substitutions, wasn't it, between Southampton and Stoke? Yeah, and look at the relative merits of both. And, you know, Stoke was absolutely rubbish for the first 60 minutes, but it was brilliantly fun last half hour. And I do think the come from behind victory will be good for Moyes. It's good to know that we've still got that in us, even though it's against Stoke and Stoke are truly abysmal. That was the really worrying thing about that game. I mean, I kind of was really having a pop at Fulham earlier and just thinking, I'm sure I said similar things about Stoke. So then we're going to play Sociedad, who really did not put up particularly stiff opposition and they're still struggling in La Liga. But you would assume, well, I would assume in my ignorant fashion that they'll be more impressive at home. They are very good at home and they have a very passionate crowd uh, there. And uh, it's the Basque thing. It's an old stadium. They have always been known for kind of passion and atmosphere at home. And I think they'll do that, whether it'll be enough to inspire them into a better performance than they put up against United at Old Trafford is a, is a big thing, right? Because you know, United were good in that game and Sociedad were pretty meek. So you'd expect a little bit more. I guess the thing that interests me most is how United will approach this one because they were really very negative in Shakhtar. And, you know, for a lot of that game, it kind of worked. You got the goal and could therefore control the tempo of the game and just got a bit too negative and, and Shakhtar came into it enough and caused enough pressure to get the goal, right? So how do we approach this one? Because a win in this game pretty much guarantees qualification going a bit negative and losing perhaps with a late goal or something like that when it looks like we might get a draw even drawing would leave us on eight points and then we've got two tough games one at home to Shakhtar you expect United to win and the away at Leverkusen which might be difficult absolutely it's going all right isn't it Champions League so far and this is you know, it's a very different test to the one faced away in Shakhtar and, and you do wonder if Moyes will revert to that kind of more defensive approach. Um, I guess I wouldn't be surprised to see three in midfield. In my head, that makes sense because I do worry about us just getting passed around in a normal midfield situation. But I really worried about that before the uh, before the game in the home leg. And it turned out that all that was needed to avoid that was making sure we played Ryan Giggs for his excellent ball retention and incredible attacking prowess. Yeah, this is a key decision. It's a, it's a big tactical decision for Moyes and uh, how to do it. You know, as I said, Anoeta is is uh, an atmospheric ground, although there's a, as I remember it, there's a running track around it. But it will be a tougher game for United than, than the home one, for sure. So that kind of thinking says, yeah, let's keep it 
bit tight, but it could go all kinds of wrong, couldn't it? Or they weren't very good at Old Trafford. Let's go for it. Let's uh, let's get the 10 points. Let's make this comfortable in the last two games. Let's assume it will beat Shakhtar at home and, and it makes that Leverkusen game you know, a little less difficult. Moyes, for most of this season, would have convinced me that he would have gone quite negative in this this game and, and would play three in midfield and uh, the fullbacks wouldn't press forward quite so much and, and we might leave Van Persie up front uh, almost on his own. We were really quite withdrawn. Last game in 20 minutes, you know, maybe it's different. Maybe, maybe the penny has dropped. Already? That's quick. Quicker than we expected. We'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. All right, uh, there's there's one more Twitter question that I want to do from at Liz Worsley, our friend Liz, who has asked, this is sadly probably looking like it's going to be hypothetical for the time being. We've been looking into the, the logistics of trying to organise a live rank cast in Manchester, but it's looking like dates are, are going to defeat us for the time being. We'll revisit this and we'll definitely uh, something we'd want to do in the future. And Liz says, if you could choose three guests for a live show of the rank cast to grill, who would you have? So just before we do predictions, I'm going to go with, first of all, I'm not going to grill him, but we'd have to have Danny Welbeck there. That's that's just non-negotiable. It's part of my rider. I'm not turning up unless Danny's there. Um, oh, you get to pick the second one then, Ed. Any guests we like, Eric? Yes, of course. Although he's a bit of a reticent interviewee, Eric. Uh, he seemed to interview very well when I met him in Rio. Can I just throw that one there? in there again you know mind you I'd had quite a few Caperinias at the time and so did he so you met Eric Cantona in a jazz club in Rio is that what you're saying Ed? that's what I'm saying just just yeah, yeah. but never told that story before have I <laughs> to be honest I'll never get tired of hearing it just because of how insanely perfect it is um, and then I guess uh, for a last guest I don't know I think I might just have to have Robin there it's a tricky one because yeah, part of me thinks Fergie and we just give him a hard time about the Glazers for the 90 minutes but he's just not going to stay if we do that and also honestly if I met him I kind of wouldn't want to waste the time by just antagonising him he knows that people think that of him we're not going to get an answer so maybe maybe just 90 minutes with Ferg but you know a bit but this is our hypothetical lineup. All right. So, you know, why get all uh, you know, logical about <laughs> okay, it? So, okay. so, so my three are way better than your three. I've got Ferguson, Cantona and Keane. Okay. And uh, <laughs> that's going to make for a, a bloody good night, that is. All right, I'll have, I'll have um, like Robin, Danny and Adnan Yanazai for a kind of opposite like a, a a nice friendly loving tickets are all good booksellers and round the back of Chalton bus station yeah, i think yours are going to sell better but mine will be friendlier so there you go very good so predictions for the two games ahead i don't think it's possible for me to predict a loss or a draw against fulham even though it's away even though they might up their game even though we've been very shaky and by no means solid especially coming on the back of such relatively good form for United. Well, good results at least. Uh, I'm going to go with 3-1. That's what I'm going to go with. Dimitar Berbatov to score theirs. Okay, yeah, I'm going to go for a 2-0 win for United. Uh, let's assume that Fulham don't score from the halfway line or some other insane goal. Uh, just just a nod to Kasami's goal the other week. Oh, Took it on word. the chest and then Van Basten-style volleyed it over the keeper. A, a wonderful, wonderful goal. There have been both some absolutely incredible goals and some properly atrocious goalkeeping in recent weeks. Most of the atrocious stuff uh, performed by Mr Hart over in East Manchester. Uh, quite amusing, that one. Got to say, can't, can't help myself feeling a little bit of schadenfreude about that Joe ha 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 I'm reticent to have schadenfreude about that because he's a very talented young goalkeeper who has suffered a massive dip in confidence and it's really affecting him and I'm like mm, there but for the grace of Eric 
you know. Well, he's not that young, so he's 26 now and he's been around a long time and I don't think he's ever going to suffer confidence. He's, he's the Nicholas Bentner of goalkeeping, isn't he? This is a great illusion that people have about confidence, that somehow people with big heads have are, are self-confident, but it's not generally the case. Ego is the flip side of massive self-doubt and you know if if that kind of ego cracks what you're left with is the kind of soft mushy interior of self-doubt so uh, i think soft and mushy is a good description of hearts goalkeeping at the moment you may be not liking this i'm liking this i'm liking this although i'm rather disappointed that patrick barkley never replies to my tweets i was interested in his uh, deep and yeah, thoughtful analysis uh, about the comparison between uh, david de Gea's performances two years ago and, and joe hart's now but he's not getting back to me if joe hart wants to feel better about himself uh, which i'm sure he does right now uh, rather than just look at his lovely hair what he could he could do worse than watch uh, i think it was hamburg against freiburg in uh, the bundesliga three nil <laughs> i think it was three nil to hamburg right and it was the freiburg goalkeeper i can't remember which way around it was but anyway Every single one of the goals, a proper goalkeeping howler, right up with that Joe Hart level. If you've not seen it, check it out. Yeah, do that. Uh, talking of hair, which you mentioned there, um, can't pass this opportunity by to talk about the, the golden ball, golden boot, golden ball, FIFA's World Player of the Year type thing that's voted on by the captain of uh, you know, Vanuatu Islands and uh, other luminaries like the head coach of Jamaica uh, and uh, the other pointless footballing nations like Scotland and Wales. No, I'm, I'm kidding before you send me death threats. It looks like Messi versus Ronaldo again, or maybe Frank Ribéry will have a say in this one this time around uh, being the outstanding player in the Bayern Munich side. But Sepp Blatter this week praised Messi to the high heavens and said that uh, Ronaldo spends a lot of money in the hairdressers. Yeah, I, I mean, it was very ugly i have to say if i was if i was ronaldo i would probably be annoyed by that and ronaldo indeed was a uh, new chant viva ronaldo passive aggressive two fifa big wigs viva ronaldo after ronaldo tweeted um i wish blatter health and happiness safe in the knowledge that he will continue to see his favorite players clubs and countries do well Oof, ouch I, I i'd have been tempted to tweet something back about hair given that blatter doesn't have very much uh yeah i mean really really classless from blatter uh, are you surprised when has he ever done anything with any kind of class exactly he is a character pretty much devoid of class and you know it was you kind of it was sort of quite revealing really because also i think it's a completely convenient narrative and there's lots of behind the scenes stuff to suggest that it's not quite the truth that leo messi is the golden boy who you'd want to bring home to your mum as he as he said and that Ronaldo is this terrible egomaniac. I mean, obviously there's some truth in that last bit, but actually Messi's got a chippy side and Ronaldo's got a really nice side, you know? Dozens of players came out this week and said, yeah, apparently he's a lovely boy. Uh, yeah, very good. So, um, talking of the international game, very briefly, Michel Platini, who appears to be getting a little more insane each time we're talking about him, he, uh, now wants a 40-team World Cup. He said you could increase the number of teams from Africa and Asia and Oceania and, and uh, Europe too. Uh, Europe over the years has uh, lost a number of teams, now down to 13 teams. And um, and then there's like six from Asia and six from Africa and six from South America. Well, five and a half from South America and half from Oceania and, and so on. And it's this age-old debate about what's the right balance for the World Cup. Should it be the best 32 sides in the world or should it have global representation? Clearly, Placini 
without wanting to dilute the European contingent, wants a more global representation. Of course, he's after the top job, so he would say that. I mean, I have to say, for me, uh, moving to 40 teams would simply dilute the quality of the first round. You'd have to extend the first round, presumably, and have uh, five team groups, uh, meaning an extra game. There'd be a lot of dross and it wouldn't add to the World Cup at all. You know, there is a balance to be struck because getting to the World Cup is such a big deal for, for countries that don't do it traditionally. But you don't want the World Cup to be rubbish, right? You want the World Cup to be good. So this is a really difficult balance to strike. And I think actually at the moment, it's not like every team in the World Cup is world class, is it? So... No, right, exactly. Um, Good piece by Jonathan Wilson in The Guardian uh, analysing this, uh, saying if you look at the rankings, uh, there are 20 European teams in the top 32. So already there's a skew away from quality towards uh, global. And that's important because you wouldn't want a massive representation from one continent. It would just become a slightly larger version of the European Championships. Yeah, well, yeah, Europe versus South America and some other teams thrown in, right? That's, you know, that'd be what it was. And I I think it's really good that it's not that anymore. And, you know, I think they've got the balance pretty well at the moment. I thought the last World Cup, some people didn't enjoy it that much, but I really did enjoy it. I'm certainly looking forward to Brazil. Uh, if anyone wants to sponsor us for a month's worth of live rank cast in Brazil, I'm more than happy to take your sponsorship. Pretty hardcore about the sponsorships I won't accept. I'm trying to think if I'd slightly relax that for a month of live rank casts in Brazil. I don't think I, don't think I could do it. Look. If you're a gambling, smoking heroin pusher, I'm all in, all in. I don't think I could do it. Uh, talking of gambling, what, what do you think the score is going to be against Sociedad? I think United are going to go there and draw, so I'm going to say one all. Yeah, I'm going with two all. That's my outlandish prediction. We had a rather large segue in the middle of our predictions there. I thought you were just trying to avoid it myself. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, all right. So uh, if you want to get us in between now and next week's show, you can get me at UTD Rantcast. You can get Ed at United Rant. You can get us both or more likely neither of us at facebook.com slash United Rant. Uh, there's the show page on unitedrant.co.uk where you can leave comments on the podcast. Uh, always read those. We really should make an effort with our Facebook page. Funny thing is I've, I've actually visited the Facebook headquarters more times than I visited our facebook page <laughs> that, that is, is the truth <laughs> um unitedrant.co.uk slash donate if you want to chip in tens of thousands of pounds for us to go to rio for the summer or if you want to chip in a tenner to help cover the costs of bandwidth for the thousands of people that enjoy the rank cast on a weekly basis thank you so much for listening it means the world to me and ed i know we were really hoping to be able to get a live rank cast together over christmas but sadly dates and logistics look like they are conspiring against us but we haven't totally given up hope of pulling something out of the hat yet and we'll definitely do one at some point since people have been so kind about expressing an interest to come along and to be honest just the fact that you would come along means the world indeed and uh, talking of doing one that's it from us